Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast, episode 66. The one about metaverse patents, why the brain hates PowerPoint, best webcams, and Minority Report. Let's get on with the show. And hello and welcome to another recording of Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast. We are back with more news, tech content and wisdom from the world of marketing. Joining me, I'm on a mission to keep marketing simple, the voice of the Marketing and Finance Podcast and the author of Cats, Mats and Marketing Plans. I give you Monsieur Roger Edwards. Oh, thank you so much. And of course, I'm also joined by a man who is also on a mission to demystify digital marketing. He is the host of the Content Marketing Studio video podcast. Please welcome Monsieur Pascal Fintoni. Thank you very much. This is episode 66, Roger. I'm sure there's a special name if you play bingo. Uh, I don't know it. Uh, Perhaps you do. (laughs) No, I don't actually. I think the only bingo name that I know is Legs Eleven, and it's definitely not that. <laughs> yeah. So if you do know uh, what it's called in a bingo hall, uh, let, let us know. But the other thing that you can do for Roger and I is let us know about your plans for this year. We'll be working on the next few episodes. We do plan around themes. We try and look at ways in which we can make your life easier as a marketer and content marketer. So let us know about strategies and some aspects of strategies you'd like us to investigate for you. What about content creation? What are your new goals for this year? And leave those messages in the socials and we'll do what we can to include those as part of our mini segment content spotlights the news the tech and so on film marketing is also a very important segment for this show and we have a very special selection are we not roger oh my goodness minority reports pascal and and as always i watched it last night what an amazing film probably not seen it for a good 10 years or so maybe even more and not only can we talk about the marketing of the film, which we will do, but this is a film which has a thread about marketing going through it. It predicted where we might be in the future, and of course the future's now. And I don't predetermine you know, how successful this episode will be, but this may be one of the best inclusion in film marketing because of what you just said a moment ago. Very quickly, we love to give shout-outs, but receiving them is also very, very nice indeed. And recently on LinkedIn in particular and Twitter, we got some messages from Andy Storch, from Art Markman, Mark Wilson, and also you got a shout-out from DrawKit, one of the apps that you selected for episode 64, which was lovely. And we also made the list of the 15 best tech podcasts Dr. Claire Trivian selected us as part of Isoline Communication. The outtakes video is still doing the rounds two, three weeks <laughs> later. Um, you know, I'm not thinking you know that uh, we should be worried about the outtakes doing better than some of the episodes we've published, but uh, we've got some lovely messages from Nicholas Bourne, um, Ima Duffy, Nico Jones, Gemma Walton, Beth Hewitt, also people from Umi, Claude Kelly, Nick Clark, Ross Hodgson, and so on, Beth and Wright, also as well as Simon Clayton, and many, many more. Well, listen, that was the whole point. If we can kind of make you smile and brighten your day, that's what we do. Now, Roger, let's begin with In the News. A recent report from Monster.com confirms that digital skills shortages remains a major issue with nearly 90% of companies having trouble finding candidates with the necessary digital skills. Mm, While Meta is working on establishing ethical boundaries for the creation and use of virtual influencers in the metaverse to help people understand when information is not coming from an actual person. 
According to marketingdive.com, QR codes are back and here to stay. Once dismissed as gimmicky, advertisers are now embracing the back black and white labels across all media, including TV screens and interactive displays. While Swiss software company Logitech has launched to the next chapter of their Defy Logic TV campaign by teaming up with pop superstars Lizzo to position Logitech as a hip tech brand for young creators. The European Parliament approved the draft of the Digital Services Act, which will prevent platforms to use targeted ads, collect personal data without permission and publish illegal content, including hate speech or counterfeit goods. Visit Essex is launching a £300,000 TV campaign in an attempt to shed its lowbrow reputation, often encouraged by popular TV shows such as The Only Way is Essex. Universal Pictures and NBC Sports have produced a series of adverts featuring three US Olympic athletes being chased by dinosaurs in a surprising crossover to promote the film Jurassic World Dominion. And finally, Google has introduced a near Easter egg, Roger. If you search the game Wordle, the Google logo will switch to a roar from Wordle and the latest change as if someone is playing the incredibly popular game. Wow, another set of eclectic news. But let me just quickly ask you, are you playing Wordle at the moment, Roger? I'm not Pascal, and uh, I'm aware of it. I mean, mm -hmm. who couldn't who couldn't be aware of it? Pretty much every Twitter tweet that I see these days is about Wordle. Um, but I have so far resisted the temptation to give it a try, not because I'm not curious, but because it seems to suck people in, and they then after that spend their entire lives playing it so i've decided to give it a miss for a while i mean certainly i play the french version i thought you'd practice some of my french <laughs> and it's very addictive it also makes you realize how competitive and what an incredibly sore loser i am as well so i've had to have a break because it's just a source of stress for me more than anything else <laughs> being you know kind of outperformed by, by my younger sister and so on but very quickly let's talk about two things i think i can combine them meta looking at establishing ethical boundaries by letting people know when a video particularly or an image is from a virtual character shall we say and then we talked about this you know the draft bill of the digital services act which will essentially punish platform for doing things like targeting ads collecting data and also including uh, kind of misinformation it feels like you know a massive kind of house cleaning job that's going to happen this year. Yes, it does, and and there's a sort certain irony, isn't there, that Meta are working on establishing ethical boundaries when they've probably been accused quite prolifically in the past of of almost abusing their data privileges. Um, so let's see, let's give them the benefit of the doubt and let's see how they tidy that up. Again, we're we're immediately talking about this thing called the metaverse, which is one of the great big buzzwords of 2022 already and of course as you said in a news item last week the vast majority of the men on of the man and, and women on the street don't even know what the metaverse is and even if they do they're not really interested in it so it's going to be a long time before it becomes mainstream Un undoubtedly it will become mainstream i think we we all know that but I suppose that in that for that reason, it's a good idea to get in early and establish these boundaries so that when we do start using it a lot, it's not getting abused. I mean, in fairness, the reactions have been uh, in two ways. One, I've said it's about bloody time, excuse my French, <laughs> but also can you not extend the ethical boundaries to all your products, Instagram, mm. Facebook, Messenger, and so on, what just, mm. you know, the metaverse. And then the other, this idea of in the future, 
a company could decide to create a video and they would love for the CEO to give you know the, the message, but they can't get access to him or her. So what they're going to do is literally write the script and there would be program that would allow, you know, using deep fake really, would allow the CEO to be seen and heard delivering the speech, even though they never did. And I'm just not sure how I feel about it, and, and we shall see. One that I think would work is if you create an avatar that is almost your alter ego, is almost like you know the other side of, of your personality, almost like a, um, a companion or a sidekick. So it's clearly not you. It never will be you. And this character can you know, express things a bit differently, could be a bit more controversial, a bit more humorous. And, and I can see that working well, but to literally... Uh, create fake content without telling people that I'm just struggling with um, you know, the rationale behind that. And I think one of the reasons why social media in particular is so polarizing is that an anonymity that it can give you. You know, you can invent a Twitter um, profile. It doesn't have to be Roger Edwards or Pascal. It can be, you know, the, the, the Scarlet Avenger or whatever you want to call yourself. And that anonymity has been abused by a lot of people it can they can be bullies they can be trolls i guess and, and we've all been victims of trolls and i don't really want to see that coming into the next iteration of the uh, of the internet and hopefully this will create some sort of um check against that i guess and on the subject of having a virtual version of yourself and and so on and so forth when I was looking at the reaction to two gigs on LinkedIn, I, I kind of spotted your profile and uh, I apologize, Georgia, I don't look at your profile on LinkedIn uh, very often, <laughs> but I did notice that there's a new bit of information against your name, Roger. There is a little qualifier that reads, not a robot. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I suppose I was being a bit flippant there. That's actually the um, bit that you can change to say whether your personal pronouns are he, her, they, it, whatever you want. But it is actually a free-form box, so you can put whatever you want in there. And I think I put not a robot in to coincide with a specific day of the year, so probably halfway through last year, and I've just forgotten to change it back. That's all right. I just uh, uh, realised that you can actually make me laugh without being present. You know, that's so quite amusing. So at the time of recording this um, podcast, Roger, we are actually on the 28th of January, which is actually International Data Privacy Day. Ah, and I thought it was very, very uh, appropriate for us to choose some of those news. I'm going to resist temptation to talk about Jurassic World Dominion and whether or not we want to see the athletes being eaten by a T-Rex. But I want to talk to you. <laughs> about brands trying to position themselves differently. Logitech targeting hip tech creators and Visit Essex who wants to attract tourism really because they claim, and I'm probably rightly so, they have a strong heritage, historical heritage, and people should know about it as much as everything else. Now, I will confess, for me, Logitech feels like old tech. I used to know Logitech back in the days of being a young marketing uh, assistant. It's just fascinating. If you watch the advert, it's really, really good and mm. how they're positioning it. And we need to wait and see how Visit Essex will create their adverts as well. Yeah. I mean, it's a, collaborations are proven to work, aren't they? I mean, crikey, when we get to talk about Minority Report, we're going to be talking about product placement in there. And I think that if you have got a brand, which, as you, you said, Logitech is, is an old brand, maybe there are people out there who aren't aware of it. Um, but collaborating with something 
more modern, more fresh, like a, a pop star, is likely to attract a different audience. So, yeah, it's, it's a good way to revitalize a brand is to collaborate with somebody else. Super. So thanks very much for helping me review the news that kind of hit our virtual desk. But let's slow things down with the content spotlights. Yeah. So in this section of the show, we surprise each other with a discovery from the interweb, a podcast, a video, an article, something that can really help us reflect what it means to be a marketer in today's economy. So Roger, what have you got for us today? Well, this week, Pascal, I was conscious of the fact that we were going to be talking about Minority Report and all the marketing issues that that raises. So I was I was guided towards this article, which again talks about this thing called the metaverse, which we've already mentioned today on the show in the news section. The title of this article, which appears in Inc. Web, on the Inc. website, is Four Innovations That Give a Sneak Peek into the metaverse. So effectively, what they're saying is new patents are being granted to Meta, that's the, the Facebook holding company, which could make the metaverse, whenever it becomes mainstream, incredibly realistic. Again, it's a very short article by Gabrielle Bianes, and it's really interesting to look at some of the things they're talking about. And then later when we get to talk about the Minority Report film, you'll be thinking, crikey, some of the things that that film predicted are actually here being patented now. It's really, really interesting. So the four things, and I'll, I'll just go through them very quickly, is the first patent is giving people the ability to actually manipulate objects in that virtual reality setting. So I don't know whether you'll have to actually wear a, spe a specific type of glove with sensors on it or something, but you will actually be able to pick up, touch, pinch, squeeze, knead, whatever you do, you can use this technology to interact with objects within the metaverse, which, you know, that's 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 pretty incredible. Um, another one is um, to help you create a much more realistic avatar. Now, <laughs> you, I've seen some of the photographs and some of the visualizations of test metaverses and you know they still look like second life which was about two decades ago when, in, in the early version of the internet and that looked like a really poor sort of duke nukem type graphical uh, video game type approach but they've got this um technology now here which can really simulate pretty much everything that happens on the body. So how your wrinkles change when you smile, for example, or even how the weave of your jacket or your or your shirt or whatever it might be, how that changes as your body moves and how the textures move. I mean, it's, it's incredible detail, but of course it brings us closer to something a little bit more lifelike. Another one, the third one, pay, uh, the patent focuses on something called spectator images that would allow you to invite someone to share your view of something so um I'm, I'm thinking about a game that i play which is called planet coaster which is where you build a theme park and there's all these little people come into the theme park and start riding on the rides that you've built and uh eating from your shops and buying things and things like that and what you can actually do if you want you can click on one of those little people and you can actually then wander around the park 
as them. So you'll see through their virtual eyes. And that's what this is doing. You know, in the future, I would be able to share my view with somebody of my world. Not that I think anybody would be interested in doing that, but you know what I mean, Pascal. And and then the, the last one, the last one, this is this comes back to what you were saying before about Meta and their ethical background and their ethical standards. They're going to need a hell of a lot more data from us to make all of this work. You know, a lot more data than even now. I mean, we, you know, if you think about it, we give these companies a lot of our information already. But in order to create these avatars, in order to create these interactive environments, they are going to need a lot more data. And so the fourth patent, perhaps is part of what we were talking about in the news, is how they can make sure that all of this is safe for the consumer and the privacy is effectively protected. So that's it. It was a very short and sharp article, but I was really just attracted to it because of the relevance of the film that we're going to talk about later. And of course, the fact that pretty much every article you read today is about the metaverse. Now, thank you for taking the time to research and, and summarise, Di, because we need to know, we need to have a watching brief, all of us, about the metaverse, but we shouldn't rush head along at the expense of existing strategies and also one that are in progress. And I, I find that to be a challenge, you know, for the work that you and I do as consultants and trainers, where we begin the work with the client, we get to the point of the strategy, we get to the point of implementation, and then the new shiny object comes along and they get distracted. And that expression I've used many times before, be careful of the marketing of marketing. And um, I think the metaverse is getting its fair share of, of PR and hopefully it's, go it's going to settle. Now, for the second time, I think, pu by pure accident, we've chosen the same format, an article, and the same platform, Inc.com. Now, this article kind of found me because I use Flipboard, as you know, as a news gathering app. And it's written by a gentleman called Jeffrey James. And if you go on this um, official website, his biography has three words, author, columnist, and a bon vivant, which I think is great. <laughs> is a professional speaker and consultant specializing in strategies for marketing and sales. Is the author of several books, including, I think you're going to appreciate the titles, Roger, Business Without the Bullshit and how to say it, B2B selling. So I think it's somebody that you know we, we're going to enjoy uh, finding out more about. And the kind of short article has a title of Science Just Discovered Your Brain Really Hates PowerPoint. And I have to <laughs> confess, because I don't hate PowerPoint and I'd like to think that I use it well, I was kind of, oh, okay, let's have a look at this. And what the article does is two things. It's a great example of how to write an article, but also to use it to link to previously um, created content. And that's something that I am not good at. You know, I don't do the kind of linking back to additional resources and so on. So what is interesting is an article you could read very, very swiftly, but by clicking on the links, you end up reading more about the same subject and find yourself really, really well informed. But I'm going to play by the rules, Roger. I'm going to stick to the one article, <laughs> not the content behind the links. And this is all to do with this idea of PowerPoint-style presentations, according to Jeffrey, will force you to multitask in a way that your brain can't really handle. Now, what is the science? And according to him, a psychologist from the University of Pittsburgh has been looking into it. It's called Mark Coutanche, and it's probably part of many who've looked into this. And what he's confirming, things that you and I and many business leaders out there have gathered, which is that the 
regions of the brain that is processing sound, the written word, and also the meaning of those words and the meaning of those full sentences, the regions are actually not three, four, five different regions. It's the same region of the brain doing all that hard work, which is why it's not really possible to sustain this idea of listening, reading, comprehending, and so on and so forth. And even though it is, you could have some sympathy for people believing that if I speak and the word that I've just said are also on screen, it will support comprehension and retention. Actually, it does the opposite. And what in Jeffrey is saying is that the vast majority of PowerPoint and similar software presentation just make that mistake. We and I've seen that uh, a lot. Well, everybody's seen that a lot over the last two years with um, you know the pandemic and watching webinars and having to endure essentially someone just publishing a document online and go through that document. So what Jeffrey is doing is offering some alternatives, but it's all based to something that you actually recommend a lot is understand the goal of that presentation. You know what what is the outcome beyond just talking at an audience. So if the goal is to discuss and decide, then maybe you should use a briefing document instead of mm. a presentation. And I suspect that Jeffrey recommended a printed document that people can scribble, doodle, and what he was also saying is don't bother sending it in advance of the meeting, no one's going to read it. So now distribute the um, the briefing document at the meeting, give people time to read, maybe they can split into small group, discuss it, and then get the feedback. But if you want a decision, and I learned that the hard way, by the way, Roger, in my days of briefing boards of directors, uh, just a brief document is better. Now, if you want to teach and train uh, an audience, then look at creating an interactive experience. You and I know this, especially note-taking. This is a part of multitasking that we do much, much better. And finally, if you want to entertain or inspire, give a speech. And all these can be done with or without PowerPoint. But then point is you shouldn't have the words. You shouldn't have the words that you, you're, you're sharing. And I'm just going to close on a story that uh, takes me back some years where I was helping a young marketing officer present to the directors. And that person was extremely nervous. And as a result to which the presentation was so full of words. And I said, you need to remove those words. You mean keep one phrase or you know, summarize everything with an image, with an icon. You need to kind of get to the point. And she, she said to me, but what if I forget what I'm about to say? Mm -hmm. And I said, well, then you need to practice a lot more or you need to have a different system or you need to actually reflect whether the way you've structured your, your story is supporting your own retention of the information. But I said, I can guarantee you People will be either so busy looking at the screen, they won't listen to you, or vice versa. They look away because the words are just too much for them. So again, a very short article, a good example of how to write a column, and some great practical reminders as well for everybody out there. Yeah, I mean, it's it's absolutely spot on, Pascal. I mean, I don't hate PowerPoint like you. I don't hate PowerPoint. But what I do hate is people who do presentations where the slides are effectively you know, full of words like heading, bullet point, bullet point, bullet point, bullet point, bullet point. And worse, when they actually stand there and turn their back on the audience and effectively mm. read the slides out. I mean, that's just dreadful. I, I try very hard to make sure that I use just photographs in my PowerPoint slides, maybe the odd word to back up 
um, the the, uh, the the talk that I'm going. But it's very interesting to hear that this creates this imbalance in the brain of and because of the multitasking nature of what you making people do and if that means that they don't retain what you want them to learn then genuinely you do have to revisit how you actually present completely and for me there was obviously feedback from the audience i had to unlearn the, the kind of text heavy powerpoint but there was also two two events one i got my course content stolen by somebody else <laughs> So I thought, well, I'll stop writing anything. It'd just be images. But also, I had to, particularly when I was doing social media marketing training, I had to be very flexible and sometimes change on the spot or skip, you know, modules. I wanted to, and I didn't want to be tied to the words on the screen. So like you, it became so image heavy to the point where people would say to me, would we get a copy of the slides at the end of the session? Yeah. The usual question. I said, well, tell you what, wait until the end and ask me again. And, and they come back and say, no, that's okay. Because we're, yeah. they were hoping for almost like um, a workbook. And actually, maybe yeah. that, that should be the companion to your slides. Well, PowerPoint being obviously a technical solution, let's move on to marketing tech and apps. So, Roger, what have you found that could make life easier for all of us as content marketers? Well, this week, Pascal, one of my clients actually asked me, um, can you recommend the best webcam? Um, which is actually something that I don't really think about that often. Um, so I decided to do a little bit of research because, of course, sitting on top of my PC here is my good old favorite Logitech C922, which is a really good webcam. Um, it can transmit in uh, 1080p. It can go up to 30 frames per second. So, you know, it's, it's a good, crisp image. But I thought, what else is out there? And I came across... Um, as you do at this time of year, uh, the beginning of the year, people are doing top tens of tech, top tens of apps, top tens of platforms. And I found quite a few articles which were, that here are the top 10 webcams. And I'm going to do the top three rather than doing the usual of choosing two, because I want to make a point by including the third one. So the first one is called the Razer Kyo Pro. Um, and from reading about it, the reason that this one is, according to this article, the absolute best on the market at the moment is because it will it will do 60 frames per second, which is quite high, but actually favoured by people who do live streaming for games. The second one is the Elgato Face Cam, and this one is very good for streaming, apparently, especially if you're streaming live um, and again, doing it to games platforms, or you might be doing it to LinkedIn Live or something like that. And then the third one, which they do say is the best overall, is the Logitech C920. Now, I mentioned before that I have a 922. I've never really known what the difference is. Maybe it's the UK version is the 922 and the American version is the 920. But they are saying that Logitech C920 is still the best all-rounder webcam that you can buy. And here's the interesting thing, going back to what you said in the news section, this webcam is now nearly 10 years old, and it is still regarded as one of the best, if not the best, all-round webcams. Now, I actually find that quite remarkable, given that we've 
lived through two years where pretty much webcams have become the most must-have item on of anything that we own um, uh, from a technology point of view. And yet nobody has developed a webcam yet which can be considered to be better than one that is already 10 years old. It's fascinating. Uh, I mean, back to your point, there are times in a year where you can't get hold of the webcam or microphones and they go mm-hmm. with supply issues. I remember when it all began nearly two years ago for us in the UK, and like you, my customer was asking me for recommendations for working from home, webcams and microphones, and I would sometimes do like a virtual studio setup i would guide them through zoom calls and so on so i would send them links on amazon they would come back within a moment saying it's not available it's out of stock and i went on yeah. for, for quite some time so but thanks for that it's a great great little shortlist and i know you're going to share the links in the show notes as well so uh, that's excellent but for me very much like you the the sections today are the result of a conversation with the client they were asking me to just check what I thought of their social media planner, as in looking at the next few weeks and few months. And they sent me an Excel document. And if if you are listening to this podcast, my dear client, please don't understand. I'm not you know, really at- attacking you. But um, a moment ago, we talked about PowerPoint and how people can sometimes have a negative reaction. I'm a bit the same with Excel because when I opened the document, all I saw was just this kind of... Uh, barrage of boxes full of words and dates and numbers and so on and sometimes there was an attempt at putting some colors but it was just incomprehensible and i had to really sit down and and study and and sometimes click on the box to be able to read the, the full text and so on and my reaction was this is not inspiring it can't be inspiring for the people having to implement the the plan and certainly it's not inspiring for me so I did a bit of research because I think what you need, and you certainly perhaps need this version for the minutia, but you need that kind of uh, overview statement. And I think that statement should be visual. And I'm thinking of a graphic maybe with boxes numbered one till 31 and a keyword or an image that is very symbolic that the team understands. So two options for you to work out a better planner. Now to begin with, with all the planners, you will need probably for your post on social media to be visuals to be perhaps photos or videos and pexels that has been mentioned on the marketing tech and apps before this resource for copyright free videos and photos have launched their 2022 pexels content calendar now the way it works following the hyperlink in the show notes you click on there and you've got the month of the year has been split and if you click on a particular month such as february or march you will see the international days today being the international day for data privacy so if you click on the particular month or day of that month, it will take you automatically to a selection organized by the Pexels team of the best photos and videos that can help you craft a post relevant to that particular theme. So that can help you with the visuals. But then to get a sign of, or maybe to kind of support the team, understand what your plans are and not send an Excel spreadsheet, then I came across a company called 24slides.com. Yet another one that they know about that is there to help you with PowerPoint templates of all things and Google Slides. And I came across, and the link is in the show notes, a visual social media planner. Literally, as I mentioned a moment ago, on one view, you have the days of the month and inside the boxes, the information you'll need to understand what you have in mind. But it's a very visual experience. And then maybe, indeed, the next page could be your Excel 
spreadsheet. So 24slides.com, uh, social media content planner is a link. I've also put a link to all the other free templates and they are many, many indeed. And, and you can also go for their chargeable service. So hopefully that will make your uh, planning more enjoyable, just more engaging for the team and your seniors. And you can just make sure that um, you know you don't just rely on Excel all the time. No, this is great, Pascal. I mean, it's a bit like me talking about Gantt charts last week. I, <laughs> yes. I, I know about the importance of planning, and we all do, but it's not my favorite job in the world. So something like this, which makes it easier and is more visual for people like me, again, I recoil from Excel spreadsheets because they were so obviously designed for people who are you know, accountancy-based or numerally, numerically superior. Uh, and something visual like this is always going to help. So those are great finds. Thank you very much. But as we said before, none of this would be possible without the vision and hard work of pioneers and visionaries of the recent and distant past. Let's move on to This Week in History. In 1928, John Logie Baird sends a TV image across the Atlantic using shortwave radio from Purley, England to Hartsdale, New York. This caused a sensation and the New York Times compared the event to Marconi sending the letter S by radio across the Atlantic 27 years earlier. Wow, well in 1994, thieves broke into the National Gallery in Oslo and stole the scream. Later recovered, one of the several versions Norwegian artist Edward Munch made of his most famous painting. In 1996, after three hours, world chess champion Garry Kasparov loses the first game of a six-game match against Deep Blue, the IBM computer capable of evaluating 20, sorry, 200 million moves per second. Well, a year later, in 1997, The Simpsons becomes the longest-running animated series in Carlton history with the airing of episode 167, eight years after its premiere on the Fox network. And in, 19, sorry, and in 2018, The Simpsons surpasses the 635-episode count of Gunsmoke, becoming the longest-running sitcom in TV history. Wow. That's incredible. <laughs> I, I mean, I've stopped watching The Simpsons quite some years ago. I just, you know, but when I was watching, I was enjoying it. I just can't even get my head around the storytelling and the story creation to, I mean, by the time this uh, episode of uh, Two Geeks comes out, they'd be probably reaching 650. That's a mm. lot of episodes, isn't it? And the fact that they're all animated as well, is, you know, it's not 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 just actors. They're, they're having to do the, I mean, I don't know whether it's computer-generated animation or whether they're still doing it frame by frame, but it's an incredible undertaking. And the detail as well is is, is pretty special as, as well, isn't it? There's always stuff going on in the background in Simpsons episodes. And, I mean, literally movie star singers, artists, they just can't wait to make an appearance or be voice appearance mm -hmm. in The Simpsons. Some of them have been kind of recurring characters. Yeah. Uh, it's just, you know, a wonderful, actually, kind of addition to um, This Week in History because um, I, I'm just completely astounded by, by by the achievement. Something that is actually very simple. I mean, you could argue the artwork is, is very simplistic. It's not changed much over the years as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's pretty much the, the same visuals, isn't it? Yellow, yellow people, and that that that's it's it's a definitely a unique style, isn't it? You know, quite a lot of the characters don't look attractive. 
they're deliberately drawn that way. <laughs> yeah, and they've not aged at all as well in no. <laughs> all these years that they've been running the the, the Simpsons. But uh, yeah, it's, it's just um, absolutely remarkable. There's countless memes on social media about, about the Simpsons. Um, I, I, th- I think it's probably known well. Well, I've not checked, but I'd imagine it might ex- exist as well uh, in different languages. So you know, there's mm-hmm. been some uh, dubbing. In, in different languages because the stories are very universal the characters are are very uh, likable absolutely right so i was very interested by this piece of um, history about the uh, chess computer and gary kaspros being beaten by deep blue the ibm computer i have a memory of being at school and there was a chess club run by Dr. Matthews, we used to call him Diddy Matthews because he was a really small guy, and that's probably very politically incorrect, isn't it? Um, And he used to run this chess club, and he bought, or the school bought, a very early chess computer. And it became really, really um, almost must-have. And people used to book this thing weeks in advance at lunchtime so that they could go and play on this chess computer and and i remember it actually just looked like a board but it was quite a lot thicker because all the circuitry was underneath and it was really hard to beat this thing even on the easy setting Uh, and i remember booking myself in for a couple of weeks in advance and it was getting oh i've got a week to go until i get the chess computer i was thinking how how weird to be be so excited about getting a to play with a chess computer. Now I can download a chess app on my phone and play chess against a computer now. And guess what? They're still quite hard to beat. What is interesting is back to science fiction. You know, humanity has always been concerned about machines taking over. 96, that's a few years after Terminator 2, if you think Mm. about it. Um, Now, I do know that Gary Kasparov had won uh, in previous years and then eventually he lost against Deep Blue because, again, of its computing power. Um, now, claim, of, claim to fame, when we had a computer at home and we had a chess game, because usually when you bought a computer, you had also um, kind of simple games. We even had a ripoff version of Hopper, you know, the frog that would go across <laughs> traffic and so on. And I won against the computer by using this particular tactic. I would just mimic its moves so i would allow the computer to, to do you know to start and i would just mimic its every single move and eventually the computer would give up which i thought was uh, interesting so here it <laughs> is and um whilst people may, may be impressed i did that because i didn't know how to play chess that's why i did <laughs> so i just copied every single move like a mirror image and eventually the computer would just cornered it just didn't know what to do because there was perhaps <laughs> no other scenarios for it <laughs> <laughs> This chess is a is, is a strange game, isn't it? I sort of fall in and out of love with it. It's so iconic. I mean, one of I always remember that the beginning of the film from Russia with Love. There's a scene where um, the the one of the Spectre agents is in a chess tournament, and of course, it's a they're sat on a, a on a table in the middle of the room, and there's a whole audience of people watching them play. And then in the background, there's some guys moving the pieces on the big board so that they can actually see what's happening. And you know, it, there's just something iconic about chess that, uh, that it brings that feeling to a film or or to a, a piece of content. It's just great. Yeah, I, I, I'll tell you on on that on the watch list which is getting longer every passing week um <laughs> there's a series am i right queen's gambit that yes is around. have you seen it oh it is absolutely phenomenal pascal it is we watched it over a 
maybe two or three nights it's so compelling uh, and uh, you know when, when you actually think about it um the world went absolutely mad for a series which is about a girl playing chess i mean if you put that up and said to people do you want to watch a series about a girl playing chess most people think oh that sounds really dull and boring but it is absolutely superb so definitely move it further up your list (laughs) (laughs) thank you very much right let's get back into the present with our creator shout outs so roger who is in the spotlight this week my content creator shout out is for a lady called Kieran Kapoor. She is the CEO at the Cambridge Marketing College. Now, I came across Kieran recently because she very kindly invited me to appear on her Cambridge Marketing Podcast. And ironically, given what we've been talking about in the show today, she specifically asked me to go on to talk about how to improve presentations in an online environment. And naturally, we talked about the use or misuse of PowerPoint. So how coincidental is that? Um, And I listened to quite a few episodes of the Cambridge Marketing Podcast as a result of being invited to to go on. And Kieran's a great host, um, a very calm, um, calming voice and a very interesting interviewer and i really enjoyed the experience of being on the show but i've also really enjoyed listening to the other episodes and i and i may have said this a few times i've sort of got a bit fed up with some of the more what i would describe as shouty podcasts that there are out there and i know sometimes i get a bit animated and i'm probably guilty of shouting a little bit in my podcast as well but sometimes it just you think oh for goodness sake just settle down calm down and let's just talk about this objectively and calmly and naturally and and kieran has that ability to to do that in the podcast that she's um hosting so check it out i have to say before i was invited on the show i hadn't heard of it now i do and that's why it's getting a shout out so kieran kapoor and the cambridge marketing podcast oh super well for me you know i'm very fond of new beginnings big big fan Mm or giving new creators and new business a shout out. So this is about Alex Reed. Alex Reed is the co-founder of Startium, just being launched very recently. Startium is an organization soon to become a tool providing you with all the features you need as a new business to find investors, find co-founders, find um, kind of financing and online solutions to get stuff done and he has started uh, writing which i think is also a format that we sometimes need to give more of a shout out in writing for the web is become the author of a new blog series called founder stories so really to inspire others to start their own venture he's going to be looking almost like a investigator like a journalist at the story of famous brand and his very first article is about the founder of patagonia the very very mm. famous brand yvon chouinard and I just think it's amazing. I know this is only article number one of a you know a very long series. I know this is a very brand new business, but uh, these individuals like Alex should also be part of Creative Shoutouts. I'm just so pleased to be able to give him you know a big salute and congratulations with starting the business, the blog, and very best of luck. Fantastic, and I, I shall uh, back you up in that wishing of the luck there, Pascal. And listening and to stories about founding about founders and how they build businesses is such an important way to strategize isn't it because you learn from the mistakes that they've made you can learn from the success that they've had so i always enjoy having a look at 
stories of people who started businesses. Absolutely. Now, I am not a precog, Roger, but I can certainly predetermine that we're going to have a blast in film marketing. Now, incredibly, Roger, this year is the 20th anniversary of Minority Report, a movie about predicting the future, about predicting whether individuals are going to be behaving a particular way, and a movie about the future of marketing. Let's watch the trailer again. Look at me. Positive for Howard Marks. I'm placing you under arrest for the future murder of Sarah Marks and Donald Dubin that was take place today, April 22nd, at 0800 hours and four minutes. No. So you said during the introduction that you watched Minority Report recently. I watched it about two months ago, I think. Yeah, we watched it last night. Oh, um, wow. Trying to think about, I mean, we did originally own the DVD, and I did search through our pile of DVDs, but I couldn't find it. So I've either lost it, sold it, or lent it to somebody who's never given it me back. So we did have to um, we did have to go and find it online um and, and pay to watch it. But what an incredible film. I just forgotten how good it is. I mean obviously directed by Steven Spielberg and starring Tom Cruise, you know, those are two of the biggest movie heavyweights of all time. But I'd, I'd forgotten about the visual style of the film, you know, very sort of bright and silvery and almost washed out in certain aspects. Incredibly detailed plot. Um, I mean, on, on the face of it, it's a, it's a bit, it's a police procedural, but it's a police procedural set in 2054. Um, but, the most fascinating thing about it is that there's all sorts of technologies which are introduced around advertising and around surveillance and around data and around privacy, which at the time were obviously just predictions that Steven Spielberg and the team were making about what the future might hold. But when you watch it, again, 20 years later, you're sitting there thinking, my goodness, so much of this has actually come true. Uh, so not only do you get an incredible uh, film to watch purely from the entertainment point of view, but from a film marketing point of view, you get the double whammy because not only can we talk about how they marketed the film to people, but within the film, there's a whole narrative that we could talk about for hours about how marketing is developing and how technology might allow things to become even more intrusive than perhaps things are now. Oh, I'm, I'm I'm really pleased that you had such a blast watching it again. Um, for us, it was one of those where we thought, what can we watch today? And I just said, <laughs> I wouldn't mind watching Minority Report again. 
because it's such a complex story. And we mentioned, obviously, the marketing challenge of the producers, the financiers wanted a summer blockbuster mm-hmm. for the family. But what it got really was a very, what I call, adult story. Mm-hmm. I mean, you talk about the look and feel of the movie, but the tone is dark. I mean, this is looking yeah. at, you know, child abduction. This is looking yeah. at, um, you know, the character played by Tom Cruise, literally uh, with a broken down marriage, a drug user, but ahead of a, an agency that is using the power of the precogs to essentially accuse people of a murder they have not committed just yet, of everything that, yes. that comes with it. Um, and for me, I don't think it's been done again since also. I mean, there's been you know, tons of sci-fi movies produced over the last 20 years, but one that is a real science fiction, which is about ask, inviting you to ask questions, inviting you to think, well, what would I do in that situation? but also doing a fair, fair job, as you mentioned, to predict where things are going. And the way in which Steven Spielberg has approached it by actually organizing a think tank summit to invite people from all different industries and and sector in terms of what we're going to do about our future society is a really testament to their work as well as storytellers. Yeah, and and I think that that was the key to it. They spent a lot of time trying to visualize what they thought the future would be like, but they didn't go so far off the wall. They kept it rooted in the reality of the time. So from 10 years ago, they just pushed it a little bit further out, didn't they? And therefore, what they came up with was, was something which was maybe a natural progression. And that's why it's so amazing to watch this film now and think, gosh, so much of this has sort of come true. I mean, you know, this was before the iPhone, this was before the Android phone, this was before mobile phones became big, I guess. But, you know, a lot of the technology that they were predicting looks like the, f- the phone technology that we have now and and I think that is that is remarkable and and that's why they they were so clever in those think tanks you know they didn't think they didn't reimagine the world where we grow everything or or it was so super sci-fi it was grounded in reality and that's why it works yeah it was in space opera a la Star Trek or, yeah. or Star Wars yeah. You know, but yeah you, you know when you look at minority report you have the driverless cars we are making good inroads in that. You have the multitude of ways in which you could be targeted as a consumer. I mean, the, the scene that always makes me laugh, you know, is one of my guilty pleasure, is when the character plays by Tom Cruise, you know, the, the, the head of the pre-crime unit, is at home eating some cornflakes and then the box has an advert playing. Yes. It's so irritating that he throws the box across the room and I'm thinking, well, yeah, anyone would do that, you know, it's annoying. So there was also that element of it's clever, it's targeted, the way you could read your uh, face, the way you could read your, your eyes, and then send you or you know read out to you a, a personal message about buying the next bit of clothing or the next perfume, but that invasion and that intrusion, and in, in the case of obviously his character John Anderton to be able to sneak into places, but forever being recognised because of the surveillance is is also very interesting. 
And and again, you know, we, we in the UK particularly, we live in a surveillance-heavy society. You know, there are CCTV cameras on pretty much every wall and every corner and every street. So we're not far off the reality of some of these predictions. And, and you know, that scene of him walking down the street and being targeted by ads, you know, we're not far off that again ourselves today. If you think about it, when we're online the equivalent of his eyes being scanned by all of these sensors in order to target him with specific ads in the movie is the our equivalent i guess of the cookie uh, so that's why we get targeted ads based upon our preferences when we go onto facebook you know i'll go and um, have a look at a a, a website for a, a hotel resort in barbados say and then lo and behold the next time i go onto facebook there in the in the adverts bit is an advert for a hotel in barbados that's what's happening in this film except it's based upon the eyes the only difference between the prediction that this film made and where we are today is that we still need to go online to, to be targeted in the same way as Tom Cruise was in that film, whereas he actually physically walked down the street and was still targeted. So we're still a little bit away from that total intrusion. But you know what, Pascal? We will get there, and the metaverse will be part of this whole thing. Absolutely. Just to close on the, the film itself and, and the production... So, I mean, people have praised the performance of Tom Cruise, Colin Farrell, and so on, but can we also just spend a moment on the character of Agatha, the, the, the main precog, played by Samantha Morton? What a performance. Yeah, I mean, she's remarkable. And uh, a UK actress, I think. Correct. She's, she's very, um, she's, she's developed an, an incredibly good career, mainly on TV, I think, but she's been in some extremely iconic tv series over the years so it's great to see her you know in her early days in this movie you were talking about the look and feel of the film uh, what, what is fascinating is that uh, if you can all of you if you don't have it do buy the blu-ray because if you are interested in film production and creation the the um, extras are just brilliant it goes on and on and yeah. on to the details so what they yeah. did um steven spielberg was working with let's say an old school cinematographer and they bypassed a bleaching process to clean up the film. So it wasn't mm-hmm. actually uh, like you do nowadays where you would add something to a digital file. This is film. Yeah. And they just bypassed a bleaching process to just retain some element of um, essentially slightly silverish and mm. give it that, that uh, amazing coloration. And just final trivia, only because I'm a comedy movie nerd when it comes to Minority <laughs> Report and Spielberg's work, as you know. But the precog, the three... And I thought what was interesting about the Minority Report is that juxtaposition between the tech and the precog, you know, almost fragile um, yes. kind of, um, let's call them creatures, but people, in and being looked after very, very carefully. But the name they came up with, the precog, were all inspired by mystery writers because this is a detective story, this is mystery, this is a, a murder mystery with some subsets in terms of the personal anguish of the main character. But Agatha was obviously Agatha Christie. We had also an Arthur for Arthur Conan Doyle. And a writer that I'm not aware of, Dash for Deshiel Hammett, all Mm. kind of writers around murder mystery. Let's talk about the the marketing. And I kind of gave it away a bit, this challenge of the producers wanted another Spielberg blockbuster for the whole family to go to, but in fact, it was a adult movie because the dark story and 
and the action is there but there's not always a lot of action it's it's really that story being delivered over the course of a couple of hours and that makes it difficult doesn't it yeah and it was quite hard to do research on the actual marketing of this film um and from what i can gather pascal they didn't really do a great deal they relied purely on the two names spielberg and cruise and and that they almost thought that was enough to draw the crowds because spielberg plus cruise equals blockbuster it's yeah. almost like a it's like an e- equation of the film industry isn't it and and that's why cruise spielberg was the focus of the posters many different posters and the trailer that we we enjoyed a few moments ago now the taglines was quite there was i don't think i've ever seen as many taglines for a <laughs> for a film before but what would you do if you were accused of murder of a murder you had not committed yet everybody runs the system is perfect until it comes after you get ready to run and, and there was at least 10 more which i i haven't written down here and i i think that 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 was enough to make the film attractive to the audience and maybe maybe the family did think that they were going to see a summer blockbuster and maybe some of them might have been a bit freaked out by what they actually saw and how dark it actually turned out to be but it's still a very entertaining film at the heart of it it is and so we start with with the media coverage the there was three hooks almost for for this film one was the achievement from the technical point of view and look and feel as as you've mentioned then there was this almost kind of uh, you know rejoicing in the future tech look you know what life would look like thanks to spielberg and and his colleagues and then the third hook which i thought you know was re- really interesting was whether or not you know th- this is going too far and what is interesting is uh, even today there would be people writing articles looking at whether or not the prediction made by Spielberg and, and his uh, production team were indeed correct. So this is a movie that people talk about over and over again. The video clip of um, Tom Cruise going through the, um, the shopping mall is played all the time at conferences and webinars and so on. And I'm not criticizing because I think it's so riveting and so uh, rich in, in kind of uh, reactions and 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 st- storytelling so there was different ways which they, they could uh, talk uh, about the film but just to show you how harsh hollywood is when it was time for you know the uh, to do the the press junket so go around the world do different festivals we were lucky in the uk we had a premiere of minority report with with tom cruise uh, there to salute the fans and do a, a, a number of things there was one thing that they did say to spielberg now that's okay you don't have to go and when Spielberg <laughs> asked why, he said, well, AI didn't really work, did it? So now we'll send Tom, but you can stay home. That's just like, <laughs> this is Steven Spielberg we are talking yeah. about. But this is how harsh, you know, the financiers and producers can be about their de- decision making. Um, there was one kind of um, story that made the... Um, the, the news in the US, which was around this idea of surveillance, you know, this idea of, uh, you said the UK has got the gold medal in terms of the number mm-hmm. of CCTV cameras. So when people went to the premiere in the US, they were being tracked by cameras everywhere <laughs> and, and they could check, you know, what footage would be in tow. So that, that allowed people to, to talk about it. But that was before social media. So all you could do is get that covered by press, uh, um, radio and, and TV. Yeah. And do you know what? One of the things that 
really stands out in this film, and you can't help but notice it, is the product placement is mm-hmm. absolutely off the scale. I mean, you mentioned Gap already, the you know, walking into Gap and um, and the, the, the computer-generated image comes up and says, hey, how did you enjoy the top you bought six months ago, blah, blah, blah. Again, highlighting the intrusive nature of adverts. Um, and you know what I always say, engage, don't enrage, but a lot of the adverts that these people are being subjected to in the film are enraging. I, I would be driven completely mad by them. But what I didn't know, Pascal, is that Spielberg effectively almost pioneered brand promotions in movies, going right back to E.T. when he was featuring Reese's Pieces, which were sweets. But in this film, there's at least 15, probably more, massive brands which get product placement. Um, You know, Gap, I've already mentioned, Burger King, Lexus, Nokia, Pepsi, they're all in there. And apparently... This contributed nearly a quarter of the whole of the budget of the film was derived from those product placements. Yeah, and talking about budget, uh, once again, you know, the way in which a movie can be talked about, people were talking about Spielberg and Tom Cruise actually declining, getting a payment or a fee for making the film. Instead, they wanted a percentage of you know the profit 15 percent each and that yeah. uh, it almost became that infamous 30 percent of the money going towards spielberg and, and cruise instead of uh, instead of a fee and i think that was probably a very wise decision because that movie at the time both in terms of cinema but also dvd and blu-ray um, did make a lot of money yeah and so i think the lessons for me from watching this film again almost reaffirms my belief that a lot of marketing that we see today is intrusive and annoying you know those pop-ups that cover over what you're trying to read on a website that's the equivalent of walking down the street and having an advert shouting your name you know it isn't it's as bad as that and you know as marketers i've always said it's a real privilege we have to communicate with our customers and to tell our customers how we can help them with our products, but we shouldn't abuse that privilege. And, and you know, it's 20 years old, but this film still makes some extremely important uh, lessons for marketers like you and I. And, and I guess the one thing that I just wanted to finish my opinions on is that whole idea again of having a think tank thinking about the way things may turn out, but remembering to ground it in reality. And I think Steven Spielberg actually said at the start of those think tanks, I wanted all the toys to come true someday. And think about how many of them effectively have come true. That's that's visionary. That is visionary. Visionary. For me, there's two standout scenes in uh, my entry report in terms of I won this the bit where he's accessing data using augmented reality. So he's wearing mm. th- those gloves and he's just having this great physical expression. I love the scene. Uh, I think he must have studied or been trained. It's almost like mm. uh, you know, yoga-like or tai chi-like where he's moving his mm. hands, moving his arms and accessing information to predict a crime and then to get him and his colleagues as part of the pre-crime unit to go out. So that's, see, for me, I just love watching it. The other one, which is more um, watching it whilst hiding my, you know, 
my face behind my, my fingers is when he goes for the operation to change his oh. eyes so that he can go through um you know infiltrate um the particular building without being recognized and it's just um, horrible to watch. And of course, just to build the pressure the way Spielberg knows how to, that's when they send the drones to uh, those little spiders to look for him. Yeah, I mean, that scene, I remember Trisha said last night, I couldn't watch this at the cinema 20 years ago and I can't watch it again tonight. It's a really harrowing scene. But I mean, again, those little spiders, absolutely incredible. Uh, and that is a, such a tense scene. And yet those animated spiders are so small, and yet they create so much menace. It's brilliant storytelling. Absolutely. We could go on for quite some time talking about Mind of Thought and so on, <laughs> but we must find a way to bring this episode of 2 Geeks Marketing Podcast to an end. So thank you so much for listening and watching episode 66. Until the next one, go out there and make sure your marketing is done right. He was Roger Edwards and I was Pascal Fintoni. Bye for now.